Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. So, welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take with myself, Andy Clark, and Matt Macklin. And we've taken it out fresco today. We are out on the street on Mile End Road. So you'll hear quite a lot of background London noise, but it's genuine. We're not like other podcasts who try and pipe this stuff in afterwards and manufacture it. The atmosphere is always 100% real. We're opposite the Genesis Cinema, where we've just been to the weigh-in for Caressa Shields against Savannah Marshall. And this is a hotbed of boxing around here, of, of course. Everybody knows about York Hall just round the corner, the bathhouse, home of the famous Repton Club, the Jewish East End fighters who came from just down the road and the Mile End Arena, which when it was standing wasn't too far away, a stone's throw away really. It is also the original stomping ground of today's guest, uh, somebody who we've been looking to track down and sit down with for, for a good while because he has been around the British boxing scene for a very long time now. He's seen a lot of things. It is the Dapper Don himself, Mr. Ambrose Mendy. Ambrose, thanks for doing this, firstly. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I love a good intro. I love a good intro. So, yeah, this is, your, this is where you're from, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was born in Mile End Hospital, which is like 300 yards away from where we are, Bancroft Road. And um, our first home, um, I was one, I'm one of 11 kids, same mum, same dad. Our first home was in Brick Lane. Which, uh, if you come to the East End, people talk about pie mash, but you've got to go and have a bagel in a bagel shop in in um, Brick Lane. It's uh, one of those things where you say, I did it. <laughs> and what was it like growing up around here? I mean, you weren't here for too long, were you, I think? And then, and then no, you we headed off to Islington. We, we moved to Hackney. And, of course, these boroughs keep changing. You know, you know when the, the powers that be decide that they want to do a regeneration of 
of a piece of property, they do it with impunity. And great families who've been previously for decades in and around this area disappeared. And um, the Second World War never helped things in the least. But I have to say, look, the East End was not what people say. You know, you could leave your back door open when the craze were around because they never allowed people to bully people. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a bit warped by way of truth. If, if you left your back door open, it was an invitation for, for someone to, to come in and have their wicked way. But what there was was typically, uh, in my class at school, I was the only black kid. And uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm born Jewish. And um, my mum's mum was a white Russian Jewess. Came from Bridgewater in, in, Som- in Somerset. So I had a bit of a problem explaining that... Um, to the rabbi when I first went to shul but um, after about four years my mum said you can go where you want Church of England Salvation Army Church Army you know it's entirely up to the Roman Catholic Church I was always money motivated and, and what pulled it over towards the Church of England for me was that they said that I could be the altar boy do you know what the altar boy is? yeah yeah they give you, you have that tray and you, you stand at one and they pass it down it gets at the top they pass it back and I discovered mischievously chewing Bazooka Joe chewing gum I just and, and when I got caught out I quickly took it out of my mouth and had it in my hand and I found it stuck to the coin that was a half a crown two and six in today 12 and a half pence in today's money but like two quid and um, so for the next couple of years um, I was the guy to go to in our choir because I could change everything up it was hilarious and life is funny because years later when I got married um, because I'd previously been married my my wife naturally wanted to be married in the church and we couldn't get a church to agree and then I, I thought let me go there I was a choir boy for four years and let me go there and see what they say. Anyway, they weren't having it. No way, shape or form. Um, money crossed arms. <laughs> and um, and um, it was nice and even with the, ch- with the church. No guilt conscience. The, the money went to good sources and everything else. It was fantastic. We had a wonderful memories. But going back, this was at the time... Well, I was talking about previously I'd come in to move into Hackney with a family we were schooled and we're now featured in the Hackney Hackney Museum you know and it's poignant because this is Black History Month that we're in now and there were very very few black families in around the area but they the population soon grew lots of houses to try to describe to you lots of houses where for years we wondered my mum used to say go up the shop you know go and, and when you're on there go and speak to Mrs Higgins or or Mrs or whomever and I always wondered why they never had any men and of course what had happened they'd never come back from the war so there we were left with all these widows had a wonderful close community and people would appear every now and then but 
they were shown short shrift. You know, you're not welcome in this area. You know, we're in, we're multinational. There were lots of Polish families, lots of Jewish families, um, pe- families from Montserrat because they were they'd had the not a monsoon um, a, a volcanic eruption, which cost hundreds of lives, and um, so they were quickly introduced into here. Something else which is largely forgotten: the influx of of um, Biafran refugees who'd come in as a result of the the war that was going on in, in that West African country well, of Nigeria, and um, these cross cultures, food. I'd I'd come, become used to spices, things I'd never known before. Cook, cooking in a house with so many children was quite, I wouldn't say banal, but it, it was quite mundane. But it was filling, that's all. And as a, a kid whose fondest memory of childhood was being hungry, <laughs> that's, that's where it was at. So at what point did you run into Frank Warren? Because I think that happened quite early, didn't it? Yeah, that was a big leap. <laughs> that was a big leap. But when you were at school together? No, he went to Highbury Grove. I went to Upton House in Hackney. He's two years older than me. And um, what, what it was, was I had a children's wear shop in White Conduit Street in Islington. And he managed the pub, which was adjacent to it. And so we become pals. We both supported Arsenal. We started going... To, the Arsenal DG 107 and 108 don't forget it in the East Upper Stand in the old stadium Highbury and um, yeah jumping ahead of ourselves here one day Frank came into the shop and uh, obviously it wasn't to buy baby's clothes and I am do you fancy going boxing tonight I was, I was like let me use the vernacular fuck that the same corner wins every fight every fight it's the blue corner, or every fight is the red corner. And uh, he went, no, no, this is this is different. You can, Ed Butt, you can... And I thought, wow, because I'd heard about this, but I'd never actually been to or participate. Anyway, he and I, at that, I changed my mind. I said, yeah, OK, I'll go. You might wonder why he wanted to go with me. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids... Hey everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Well, I'd like to think we were, because we were mates, I played in the same football team as his brother, Robert. And and my mum knew his mum, and and certainly other. But that wasn't the reason. It was because I had a white Rolls Royce with a gold lady on the top of it. And we were going into South London, where this this boxing was. So we went there. It was in sprawling. It was just unbelievable. You know, you 
titillated you, you just felt this was something pretty unique. And uh, on the way back, we're just confusing, like, oh, we've got to do this, we do this ourselves, and so we did. And uh, next day, set about, and Frank is, is a good entrepreneur, you know. He, he was a lot nervous, a lot more nervous then than it, I still think he, he is now. But he delivered a good oratory. Um, he persuaded some locals to box, and his uncle, got one of somebody from Ilford. I think, I think his name was Lou Yates, Lou Wildman Yates. And uh, I'm not sure, but, but he did actually box on one of these shows. Anyway, meanwhile, I went round trying to settle little feuds, you know, guys who slap each other around the head and run 50 yards up the road thinking it was funny. And, and then they'd all go and settle and have a beer in the Spanish, Spanish Patriots, the pub where he, he kind of managed. And there was a guy whose name was Danny Doolan. Fat Danny Doolan was his name. That, that was no one ever called him I Dan. It was like Fat Dan. And he liked to think that he was a, a, a passionate crook. You know, harmless, never hurt anybody. But he, his forte was stealing car radios. Now, in today's generation, you, you, you can't possibly grasp what nicking car radio... Car, you ping the window, a little quarter light, offside and near side, and then grab the, the radio out. Well, of course, what kids today will look at things and go, how, how, how is that possible? But, of course, little screwdriver, lever it out, up the road, and you probably get three quid for it, or four quid. So this was like Danny Doolan. Danny Doolan was 23 stone. And he said, listen, Emma, what's all this uh, malarkey uh, about about um, money for, for, for boxing fights? People are getting a monkey, like 500 quid. So I said, yeah, Dan, they've got a fight for five. He went, yeah, fuck, I can fight. I can, I'd never, never thought about him fighting because he was so obese. A anyway. anyway it's, it's going to... Um, I, I definitely want to be in. You know, just get me some gear and this, that and the other and da-da-da. And, and then there's that vision of him as he's going away, throwing punches. He, he threw about 20 punches and he was knackered. Right? It was absolute. So I said, Dan, what we'll do, we'll set up some, some sparring because all the local kids had been done ABAs and whatever. And we set this date up at Finsbury Park Astoria, I think it was. Anyway, it's at Finsbury Park. It's a religious place now. And um, so Frank booked the venue, did all the whatever you got to do. You know, he handled the ticket purchases. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Matt? <laughs> he handled all the ter ticket purchases and everything else. And in initially, it, it didn't set sell very well. Well, at least that's what I seem to remember being told. It wasn't selling very well, but um, we went out on the road and started pushing things. Anyway, we, we had about a three-week lead-up to the fight. Come off the day, come off the man. We're in there. The place is absolutely mobbed. You couldn't get another human being in this place. And there was a couple of other fights. Terry Scrutton, 
they deserve mention these kids David Robinson which was a feud these two loved each other but they hated each other and um, anyone of, of my age in and around the Angel Islington will remember this with, with great humour we're in we arrive at the venue I, I, I left a message for him saying this is the date this is the time etc 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 and uh, he asked for a, an upfront payment I said no we'll we'll do your kit and boots and everything he went oh fuck off I don't need them I've got plimsolls you know and that's, I knew this was going to be outrageous anyway as I say come after day come after man we're upstairs in the changing room and they're warming up Davy Robinson and Terry Scrutton who had an idea of what was ahead and uh, no sign of Danny Doolan no one's seen him 20 minutes the door bursts open absolutely blowing out of his arse it's Danny Doolan yeah yeah what's happened what's happened where's, where's me, me, me bit of wedge I said damn what fucking wedge no one's seen you since we spoke to you before he went no 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 it's, it's a fella turn I said yeah but he's going to fight somebody else he wasn't we've already sold out what, the, what what's the point of having someone else on the bill anyway he went nah sl sling him up on that you, you, you can't blow me out and I felt really sorry for him anyway we said okay we, you, we've got your kit anyway which was extra 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 ordinarily large right? <laughs> <laughs> so he's getting changed trying to put one leg through this and that and, that, and everybody's on the floor laughing no one can believe it it is worth waiting for this story I promise, promise you so he got the shorts on someone helped him put the boots on and everything else he was saturated with sweat just at that effort, <laughs> effort. and um, so I said Dan you must have done something have you done you know a little bit of sparring and this he's gone fuck off every time I tried a couple of moves I was knackered. I said, that's the general fucking idea because <laughs> when, when you, you need to learn to go up another gear. Anyway, he's gone, yeah, well, all right. Anyway, we got him called early to go on. And he walked out onto, you know, like we were here today and you've got a stage. Imagine him walking left um, to the left to right or whatever and the stage is in the centre on the middle of the, the ring is on the, centre of the stage anyway to the chorus of one Danny Doolan there's only one fat Danny Doolan Danny Doolan the heavyweight champion of the Marco's ice cream parlour that's the way he was introduced was now on the feet people were absolutely roaring with laughter well, look, come on let's get in the ring there's a couple of steps first step I'm not joking it's breaks he couldn't, he couldn't take his he couldn't take his weight so people to describe the laughter is impossible and he's going and then they're all fucking laughing at me I said Dan they're cheering you don't know the difference between him he went you know bollocks I ain't he went anyway what's, what about my wedge I said you get that after he went no 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 fuck that I, he said what about my wedge like money I said, you get it after. He went, no, 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 I ain't having that. He, he, he doubted that there was a certain person who would pay him, right, even then. Anyway, he, he, I said, I'll tell you what we do. I said, I'll tell you what we do. Then 
we give you your money. <laughs> we give you your, your money, <laughs> but someone's got to hold it for you. He went, no, no, no. I put it down his shorts. Then I realised he hasn't got a, a, a fucking protector. 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 He hasn't got a protector. So I said, how, how, how come you haven't got a protector? He went there. I went to a couple of shops. He said, I went to a couple of shops, but they never had any in my size. <laughs> well, his girth, it, 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 was, it was hardly surprising. Anyway, <laughs> we get... We get, you think that's funny? I'll tell you this: we we get get to the ring, walk towards it. It's only about ten foot away, and there comes a problem of how's he going to get in the ring? Because he couldn't go. He'd broken the, the the first step. We never had anything to replace it. Now the question is, how's he going to get in the ring? So I said, listen. What you do, just lean against it. We'll push you and you fucking roll under the bottom rope. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. But now, he got, now he's got up and uh, and everyone's laughing. He's throwing these punches, throwing punches, shadow boxing. I thought it's a bit fucking late for this now. But, but, but nevertheless, but nevertheless, at least we're going to get a fight. So he's gone, I said, Dan, you know what you, you got to do? He went, yeah, yeah, just, they've told me, just put my arm out. I said, it's a jab. Just put my arm out, walled him off and everything. Anyway, where, where is, where is he? And it was a bit of a cuff, kerfuffle. And in the other corner, the fellow come out, he was fat. But so I discovered later, he'd been in a motorcycle accident about three years before, was laid up in hospital and just got fat. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. And now he was on the road to try and get himself fit. Anyway, he threw a combination of punches. And Danny's gone, fuck, you know, he looks a bit tasty him, doesn't he? You're like, who's he fighting? That's he fucking fight. He's fighting you, you idiot. <laughs> it's, it's, anyway, the refs, who was an ex-fighter, called Al, Albie Hollister, who fought Randolph, Tur- Randolph Turpin when he beat Sugar Ray Robinson over here. Referee calls them together. Oh, no, no. So he's, he's gone, listen, give me some clues. What, what do I... So listen, Dan, charge into him grab hold of him drain him with your weight and then when the referee says stop just step back and just keep doing it till he's fucked that's the that's the best move here so so the referee calls them together the sweet side. No, no I said I said give him some verbal give him plenty of abuse ref calls them together you, you, you it's whatever you want to have here just don't bite you know you can stick the nut in you know what the score is and, and everything else but when I say break you got a break. So, D- Danny, where you got this from, I don't know, said, you mug, you mug. Which was a surprise, because I, I, I couldn't figure out how he could talk. Then I realised he hasn't got a gum shield either. <laughs> so, so he's, left to, he's got me gum shield, I've left it in the change room. I, I said, don't fuck, just get on. Anyway, ding, the bell goes. They shape up to each other. Shape up to each other. So Danny's gone like, you mug. 
you mug. He's gone charge forward and uh, was met in the solar plexus with a jab on there. And I can still hear the noise now. He went like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> and he's on the floor. This fight's not even eight seconds long. But the, the, everyone was loving it, so we, we just carried on. He's, he's on the floor. And they're going, get up, Danny, get up. So I went round the side of the ring. I said, Dan, think about like your girl, your, your brothers, your sisters, and, and everything else. You, you, you're getting mugged off. You can't let people mug you up. Get up, Dan, for fuck's sake, a bit of pride. And wow, he got up. He got up. And now they're on there. The referee, referee's looked at him. He steamed forward. Never even got the jab out. No, no, I said... My mistake. I said to him, Mr. Dan, think of your family and everything else, a bit of pride. Anyway, he's gone forward, the guy's jabbed him, and then for a right cross, he's on the floor. Fucked. I mean, seriously, not, <laughs> not breathing normally. Anyway, he's gonna. He, I've gone over the sign, I'm going, Dan, think of your family. Think of, think of how you're mugging yourself off. Dan, can you hear me? And he opened one eye and he went, Has that cunt counted to 10 yet? <laughs> I swear to you, that is not a lie. And off the, off the, off the back of that, if that was that you sucked Ted on into boxing. That was then. me into boxing. You could not keep me away. You could not. And, and Frank, who sometimes was miserable, was in fits of laughter. And, and it's one of them stories that's carried on in and around isn't it? And you know one of those where there's 200 people say that they saw it happen and this, that and that. But... It, it, it enamoured me, you know, like hook, line and sinker. And it... The, the laugh you had that night and the stories was and, and probably made a few quid as well. Was forever. I mean, it, I did the audio book. Um, I did a book which is still waiting to come out. Um, and of course, next year we're supposed to see this film, which should be hilarious. But, um, no, that is a little bit of humour, I think, which covers that transitional move from East London to North London. And, um, you know, mates make mates, people stick together. It's, uh, uh, you know, you come from the Midlands, you're a Midlander, I suppose. If you come from up north, you're a Northerner. But I just think there's something special about being a Londoner, you know, I judge myself to be as cockney as Shelley Dills and as African as ground nuts. <laughs> you know, that that's that that kind of describes who you are and what you what you are. And of, of course, jumping away from that, we had a. I was with Frank for two years, two and a half years. He, he was my best man when I got married. He was my best man when I got married. I was there the day's sons, sons, the both of them, George and Francis, were born. And um, and similarly, he was when my son was born. My eldest two sons were born. And. Uh, you know, if you speak to the Colin Hearts of this world, the Srikuma Sens of this world, the Peter Mosses of this world, the Lawrence Lustigs of this world, the, 
saying again that Colin Hart we had a great time in boxing it was the renaissance of boxing thanks to um, his name's completely gone out of my head now Gary Newborn Gary Newborn's wife Katie um, who put everything in place and uh, when I say put everything in place she found a sponsor for, which allowed mid was it sports midweek sports special and uh, that brought in loads and loads and loads of fighters t t tell us a bit about that time because you know it's a long time ago now but that, that was really you know Mickey Duff Jarvis is there you know yeah they, they were known as the cartel weren't they they had it kind of monopolised the yeah. UK and then but Frank I, came in I broke the cartel yeah, yeah. You, you, you Frank Warren ITV Gary Newman that was yeah. you know, even the Lee, Paddy Lynch and Tommy in, that, in Birmingham absolutely right the Atkinsons yeah, from tell us a bit about all that how it all kind of came about yeah so what had happened Frank and being Mickey honest Duff had the stronghold did he, he, Mickey, Mickey Duff controlled Mickey Duff was part of the cartel we all knew there was a cartel but no one could prove it and that cartel was made up of Jarvis Astaire Terry Lawless Mickey Duff and Mike Barrett they controlled Wembley Arena or Empire Paul as it was called at the time they controlled the Royal Albert Hall and really there was if you weren't on them shows you weren't on any shows Frank then went on a serious adventure and recruited Terry Marsh these were normally Mickey Duff got everyone out of the ABAs Frank took on Terry Marsh uh, Pat Caldell the late great Errol Christie um, Jimmy Price Jimmy Duncan there were, there were some the Kilgallen twins it, it was just no one could believe what you know um, George and Tony Collins who may have been in your your weight class as it happens I would have thought Tony Collins was but it was exciting it was, you know in the wake of this came in the wake of this came Nigel Ben um, who was just sensational sensational Birmingham was a big was an important role wasn't it yeah you know, the NEC like you said Gary Newborn yeah involved with ITV you yeah know, you know Paddy and Tommy Lynch had Pat Cowdell they, they I think they kind of helped co-promote didn't they yeah and Dave Zuma Nelson Dave Roden yeah you obviously Dave would have come from your neck of the woods yeah wouldn't that's he? right yeah yeah there was, I remember trips to Monaco um, to Italy Rome it was fantastic and it, you know you, you were doing something you were breaking a mould and then one day, um, I was in our office in Bloomsbury Square, and uh, Big John Robinson, do you remember John Robinson? Yeah, I do, yeah. Big John Robinson said to me, and there's somebody in, uh, in the reception, I know him, he's Mickey Duff's brother-in-law, but he said he wants to talk to Frank. So I told him, look, Frank's not here, which he wasn't, but... I think it's important to go and have a word with him. So anyway, I went out. How you doing? Straight away, it was like, well, what, who are you? What, what are you? I said, look, I, I work with Frank. And if you've got something you want to tell him, he ain't here. So you may as well tell me. 
remember this isn't a time when you had a mobile phone and what, whatever he said well how can I trust you I said we ask John anyway he spoke to John come back he's got a piece of paper four signatures this, this is the document that they all signed to establish the cartel he said I want 25 grand for it I said well then you could buy a house you know two up three up two down house for 25 grand so I said well look he's not likely to be here anytime soon um, if you want you can leave it with me you can't no. he went no fuck off I'm not leaving <laughs> not leaving I thought that's a nice trust trusting man you know I ain't leaving it with you I said well I, what I'll do is I'll try to to get in touch with him and let's see where we can go anyway I go out few phone calls Jean Lee who used to be Frank's who was Frank's aunt Sue's Frank's wife's aunt said um, I, I'll find him I told her what it was about she went he'd love that anyway eventually I'll get through to Frank I said, I said Frank I'll meet you at the Wardle, Wardorf Hotel in the Aldwych which is a, an enclave, of, funny enough, of Barry Hearn. But that wasn't the case at the time. I said, listen, Frank, he has got a document. He went, is it real? I said, it fucking looks real to me. I know a little bit about fraud. So, <laughs> so, so he said, what are we going to do? I said, look, meet me at the Waldorf. He said, what are you going to do? I said, just fucking be there, but don't show any reaction. It meant, what, you know what? Anyway, I, I went off, phoned my my younger brother who worked for Berman's and Nathan's which was a costumier's big film costumier's in the back of St Pancras King's Cross and um, I got a a wig a gown and barrister's apparel you know what a barrister wears going into court he looked the part looked the part And and a briefcase I go down to the thing walking Ernie Frosty and Frank are sitting in the corner and um, with a this guy who said he was Mickey Duff's brother-in-law so they've obviously had a little bit of a chat so I said to the concierge in a really loud voice is there a Mr. Francis Warren here so Frank looked over there can't believe it he's going out yeah yeah so I sauntered over to him thinking just fucking play the role here so I said Mr Warren how can I help you he said well it's him he's got a document and we want to know we want he wants it authenticated so it, it got, so I the guy put the briefcase down got the document I said give it to me held it up to the light a bit more a bit more a bit more I got next to the door I thought feet do your fucking stuff and I, I was off down Holborn Kingsway where my mate Leslie Baptiste was waiting for me I give him the document pass on the button yeah I, I, I give him the document and he legged it up to our office in Bloomsbury Square Frank came along and I'm going to abbreviate this by saying what his words were and we fucking cracked it we've cracked it boxing will never be the be the same again you know we assume that's for the better 
he sold the story to Chris Navarrete and what was the other guy's name? Anyway, they, they worked for the Sunday Times. They ran a massive, massive story. It cost Mickey Duff an MBE. It cost Jarvis Astaire an OBE or whatever and da-da-da. But they was all fucking lying and conspiring to cheat. Lads, boxers, Charlie Magri, you know, got ch- cheated like you can't believe. Ask Jim McDonald what he got fucking paid. All these guys. Because Frank now had an iron grip on boxing. And, and I went out on my own. Well, I recruited Frank Maloney and Terry Marsh. And they were so loyal. It's, it's, I can't begin to tell you. So loyal. But we can, we can cut this off here now. And I can talk to you some other time. Maybe tomorrow or whatever. Otherwise I won't have a voice left. But there's a, there's a lot more adventure than that. Yeah, but that was that the start of was that the start of uh, or was that the end of say or the beginning of the end of Mickey Duff and the, and the big and the Mickey Duff was fucked yeah cut a long story short he monopolised he, he owned boxing he owned and he, he, he's not alive now so I won't damn him but the boxing board of control took a lot more notice than of Mickey Duff than all the other licence holders put together so was that then the, was that kind of the start of Frank Warren's stronghold in British Absolutely. Boxing? And let, let's get one thing straight. I'm not the biggest member of his fan club. You know, we had a famous court case over Nigel Benn. In fact, it's this practice direction in law, Warren versus Mendy, All England Law Reports, 1989. Yeah, these things always stick in your mind. But Frank, of course... But saying this, Frank, of course, believes in the, his infinite wisdom or none that he was the saviour of boxing. And without him, there would be no boxing. You know, it's just absolute bullshit. If you go and ask where people like Sylvester Mitty are today, it isn't all about let's just promote a few fights and let's do this. He's done great things for boxing. He's done, in my humble opinion, greater things for himself. Uh, as a result of that court case, we haven't spoken for 34 years, you know, which is ridiculous. And even, it, it's, how can I put it? It permeates to gatherings that we have like this today. This, the show that is on today is on because of Ben Shalom. You know, who showed that great entrepreneurial spirit and everything else. But he was questioned about his wisdom of working with myself, which was ludicrous because it's a perfect match. When I look at my age and, and what I know, and what I hanker to know, and when I look at his, you know, meaning Ben's, entrepreneurial spirit, ready, you know, but he had to tell Frank that he will work with who he wants to work with, not who he decides he's going to work with. So, 
do I feel they're sore points? A little bit. A little bit. If I bumped into him in the street tomorrow, literally bumped into him, I'd probably say something, hello or whatever. Um, do I hanker to do that? No, because the game's evolved, and if you don't change with it, you're gonna, you'll miss out completely. But one thing's for sure: boxing will survive beyond anybody that's the length and breadth of this road. When they're all dead and gone and buried and whatever, there will still be boxing, and we should never forget that, because because it's. The ingredients of boxing, namely like-minded people, that ensure that it's got the necessary continuity and longevity. That's, you know... I was going to say they're playing our tune. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Ambrose, I mean, if you need to get away, then, then, then do say. Yeah. And we, uh, we can we could pick this up. We could maybe pick it up again tomorrow morning, possibly. Yeah, if, tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're going to yeah. have that dead time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sit down, yeah. We, this is gold. Like we cannot, we have to do a part two of this. Um, this has been great fun. Hopefully, the background noise hasn't been too bad. But we will. Um, so this will be the first part of a two-parter. Um, we will pick this up again tomorrow because there are so many other things to talk to you about. The cream cracker world record being one of them. Um, dressing Nigel Ben in tartan and taking him up to the Highlands that's another thing I'm keen to get into but there's there's just so much and that opening story that's one of my favourite ever stories on Macklin's take oh, we're absolutely crying listening to that <laughs> you've been crying if you've been there <laughs> oh and guess what the money dropped out of his shorts <laughs> the money dropped out of his shorts so he never had the money and and, and it's gone like Frank what, what am I fancy on? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> People were crawling those days. Uh, well, this has been a joy, but yeah, we'll, we'll pick it up again tomorrow. So fear not, backlist take listeners. Uh, we will be back with a part two of this um, next week. Uh, but for now, take it easy, everybody. Yes, that line falls on the right thing. Podcast Network.